There's the abominable snowman. Oh, yes. Um, I'm at a museum in Portland, Maine, and I'm looking through a magnifying glass. It's hovering over what are basically the crown jewels of the museum's collection. And this is probably the most valuable thing in the museum. That's the fecal material and hair from the Eddie from the Sir Edmund Hill. That's right. Samples of poop and fur from the Yeti. Well, allegedly from the Yeti. The legendary beast that roams the Himalayas. The samples are now part of the collection at the International Museum of Cryptozoology. So how old is this? Does that say 54 or 59? It's a museum that focuses on creatures like Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and the Yeti. Creatures that are all known as cryptids. But before you start dismissing cryptozoology as far-fetched X-Files fodder, when these investigations into unknown creatures are done right, they involve real science, and they have real scientific value. I'm Sam O'Brien, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're visiting the International Museum of Cryptozoology. We'll search for the truth behind the legends. A bit of Yeti poop is just the beginning. More after this. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. The International Museum of Cryptozoology is located inside a brick industrial building, just on the outskirts of Portland, Maine. It's sandwiched between a trendy brewery on one side and a distillery on the other. All right, let's see. But the museum doesn't exactly blend in. Big, giant Bigfoot, carved out of wood, letting you know you're in the right place. Lauren Coleman is the founder of the museum. On the day I visited, he met me at the front door. Thank you for making time for me. I appreciate it. Nice to a New Yorker with an Irish name. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren is a charming and sort of soft-spoken man in his 70s. He's been running the museum since 2007. Cryptids are his lifelong passion. All right. Is that a Yeti on your arm? Like, what's the your tattoo? Oh, uh, this is um, this is a 
2,000-year-old petroglyph from Central California of a big... The tattoo looks like a sad Bigfoot. There are tears streaming down its face. And so it's crying because it's sad it lost humans. And so it's a moral tale. Lauren has been investigating cryptids since he was in junior high. It all started with the movie he saw on TV. It was a science fiction film. It was called Half Human, and it was about a bondable snowman. And I went to school the next week, and I said to my teachers, what is this about the Yetis in, you know, some mountains in Asia? And I was given three answers. Leave me alone. Get back to your schoolwork. They don't exist. And I knew that was full answer, so I started doing research. He picked up a bunch of books from the library. Books like Abominable Snowman, Legend Come to Life. That book was over 500 pages. I went through it page by page, and every proper name I wrote to that person. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> by the end of that year, I had 400 correspondence, and I started hooking up with game wardens and going out on investigations of giant snakes, of black panthers, of little red apes. Lauren was still in high school when he started writing research papers. And within a few years, he was invited to attend a conference in Washington, D.C. Everyone there was excited to meet Lauren Coleman, the sage scholar. I walked in and the people said, Lauren Coleman, isn't he a 40-year-old? Or no, I was 21 or something. Preeminent researcher. <laughs> yeah. Cryptozoology was a new field. And yeah, it attracted some people who just wanted to believe everything. They saw a cryptid in every slightly large footprint. And those people are on one side. But on the other side are the diehard debunkers. The people who think cryptids and Santa Claus belong in the same sentence. But between these two sides, there are people like Lauren. Well, I did actually try to take a middle road, not be a fringe kind of guy or not a debunker of everything, to really um, create a museum that can be a gateway to other professions, other interests. Um, all right, well, do you want to... We're touching yeah. upon some of the stuff that you have in here, so I guess I'd love to just dive in and... Look at, I don't know, some of your favorite things. I know there's some... Lawrence starts walking me through the museum. First, we pass a nine-foot-tall skeleton. He's laying down because it weighs about 300 pounds. We don't want it falling on any of our visitors. <laughs> we have to be careful. Uh, is that this massive skeleton is fake. It was part of a project where college students wanted to see what a Bigfoot-sized human might look like. Spoiler alert, it looks terrifying and amazing. So these are just different uh, drawings and sketches from... Then we pass a case of plaster cast Bigfoot footprints, and we go through a doorway to the museum's mistakes and fakes section. Here is the Wessie skin. Wessie, a monster 10-foot-long snake with a head the size of a volleyball. She just showed up in Westbrook, Maine one summer. For several weeks, the town erupted in Wessie mania. Police, game wardens, and residents, they all staked out riverbanks to try and spot the snake. The local brewery even made a limited edition Wessie beer. So, so this, this was basically a cryptid because it was like a mystery snake. Yes, it's, it's kind of like, I've always defined cryptids 
as unknown until they're known. Uh, and indeed, we have to be open-minded, and yet we have to be skeptical of all the evidence. Lauren says Wessie was probably just someone's pet anaconda that escaped. So this would be a case of a simple misidentification. It happens a lot, actually. Coyotes get mistaken for chupacabras. Black labs get mistaken for panthers. It's often caused by darkness or drunkenness or just not knowing what the hell you're looking at. But sometimes a misidentification isn't just an honest mistake. Sometimes it's a deliberate hoax. Ah, Jersey Devil. Hey, oh, I, well, I live in Jersey <laughs> now, so I'm all about the Jersey Devil. So, uh, the Jersey Depending Devil, on who you ask, it's either the mascot for the state hockey team or a monster that's been terrorizing Jersey's Pine Barrens for centuries. So uh, the Jersey Devil, that uh, seems to fall pretty firmly in the hoax department. Like, what's your take on the Jersey Devil? Well, anything that is unusual seen in Jersey is called the Jersey Devil. Yeah. I mean, there's been kangaroos, there's been horses, there's been flying dragons, all are called Jersey Devils. Now, the 1909... In 1909, there was a wave of Jersey Devil sightings. And the devil does have roots in indigenous folklore from the area. But Lauren doubts the creature actually made an appearance in 1909. He and a colleague did some digging, and they turned up what they believe was a mold used to make fake Jersey Devil footprints. Their theory is that people were being manipulated as part of a real estate scam that was meant to scare away residents and snatch up their land at a low price. Just your classic Scooby-Doo situation. But while it's important to be the sort of meddling kids who question a monster sighting, sometimes the legends end up being real. And that leads us to the next section of the museum. One of the things that we try to introduce people as they come in is the classic animals of discovery. It's a, a Animals of discovery. This is a term cryptozoologists use to describe cryptids that end up being real. Like here, we're standing in front of a statue of an okapi. It's sort of a giraffe-zebra mashup of a creature that most people thought was just a myth. That is, until determined cryptozoologists proved otherwise. In that case, we talk about the okapi, the giant squid, the mountain gorilla, the sola, all of these animals that are known in zoos and, and books and everything. Some of those used to be cryptids. As the field progresses and it's acknowledged that more and more of these animals are actually discovered, then they become part of zoology and we lose them to cryptozoology. We leave the animals of discovery. Lauren guides me past a model of a mermaid and up a narrow set of stairs. We just need more space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. We walk into a long loft. On one side, there's a glass case packed full of Yeti stuffed animals. On another, a video plays on a loop with the famous footage of the Patterson-Gimlin Bigfoot sighting. If you haven't seen it, Google it. And below that TV is a magnifying glass with the Yeti poop and hair. And this is probably the most valuable thing in the museum from the Sir Edmund Hillary expedition and the Tom Slick expedition. And there's uh, the letter I got from Jimmy Stewart, the actor who helped smuggle out the Yeti hair from Nepal and India. Sorry, so Jimmy Stewart smuggled this out? 
What occurred was uh, Peter Byrne. There was... Um, okay, so this letter is connected to kind of a wild story. The kind of story where humans once again prove we are by far the weirdest creatures on the planet. The story starts with the bones of a Yeti hand. And these bones were on display at a monastery in Nepal. And this guy, Peter Byrne, he was hired by a Texas oil millionaire to, well, basically steal the Yeti's hand. So Peter Byrne, he goes to the monastery. He gets one of the monks drunk and Indiana Jones style takes out the Yeti bone and swaps in a human finger bone. Then he slips away. And he was in Nepal, put it in his backpack, walked into India met Jimmy Stewart at a fancy hotel in New Delhi. Jimmy Stewart, to be clear, as in the actor from It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart, working on behalf of, of this whole conspiracy, uh, put the hair samples and the skin samples in his wife's lingerie bag. Long story short, Stewart brings the finger to London. It's still at a London Medical Museum today, and it's been tested a bunch of times. Depending on who you ask, the bone either belongs to a human or an unknown primate. So, inconclusive. Which brings us back to these samples under the magnifying glass. The Yeti hair and poop. The stool was tested by a French laboratory that said there was uh, eggs in it, uh, parasite eggs that didn't go with any primate species that's known. Again, not conclusive. But to Lauren, that's okay. Um, I guess one thing I'm curious about is, uh, like, how do you feel about the mystery enduring and not getting answers? Like, is that okay with you? Or do you ever get frustrated? Like, I want, a, I want confirmation of this Yeti, you no, know? No, I don't get frustrated. I don't... Uh, there's new adventures in cryptozoology every day. It's really involved in actually looking for mysteries, looking for that unknown side of nature that everybody ignores. But if we don't ignore it, we might find something new. It's all about passion. It's all about the future. Special thanks to Lauren Coleman. You can read more about his museum in the Atlas. And if you want to learn more about cryptids, check out our Monster of the Month series. There's a link in the episode description. One more thing before you go. While I was working on this story, I started telling my three-year-old nephew all about cryptids. And Lauren, in a couple years, I think he might be ready for an internship. Did you see the Yeti at that machine? No, I wish I did. I want to see the Yeti. And Bigfoot. And Bigfoot. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. 
This episode was sound designed by Sarah Wyman and mixed by Luce Fleming. From the forests of Maine looking for Wessie, I'm Sam O'Brien. Thanks for listening. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Dakota Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Dakota Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Dakota Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.